Now, while you're going to 1 John chapter 4, I'm going to talk to you about a simple repair job that most every guy here has probably, if you haven't thought about it, you probably have done it, all right? Uh, you have a broken light switch. I had one just a couple of weeks ago, and the light switch just wouldn't work anymore. And uh, so, you you know, it's just a few screws, and so you pop off the, the screws, and you pull out the, the, the switch from the wall, and there are these big, heavy-duty wire sticking out of there. What's he supposed to do? All right, A, just pull the wires out, reinsert them into a bright, shiny new switch, right? Isn't that what he's supposed to do? Or B, he should go to the fuse box, switch off all the power, especially to the lights over the house, and then pull out a handy little tester. You know what that is? It's called a tester. Now, yes, it has a screwdriver on the end, but that's not the purpose of this thing. There's a little bitty light up here that measures very faint electricity, and you touch all three of the wires for one purpose, to see if you're going to die <laughs> when you start to mess with those wires. And so the smart guy uses a tester before he starts to mess with electricity. Isn't that a smart thing to do? Only a fool would not test the wires. Is, am I not correct? All right. Let's listen to 1 John chapter 4 now. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. 1 John 4, 1. Again, it's our memory verse this month, but let's read it again. Would you read it with me? Stand with me as we read this verse. Let's say it out loud together. <clears throat> and then we're going to get into the message. Ready? Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Father, one more time, I just ask that you would help us to hear your word and understand it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Okay, so I don't want to end up like that. So we test things. And here in 1 John, that's what John says. He says, test the spirits, put them on trial. He actually says four things, and they're very important to pay attention to. Apostle John says very emphatically that do not believe everything we hear, everything we feel, or everything we think. Is that good advice? You better believe it. Uh, secondly, he says that we need a spiritual awareness. We may be aware of the temperature. We may be aware of of, uh, I don't know, of physical things, but a Christian needs to be spiritually aware of some things because there is more going on than what it seems. Is that not true? In politics, there's always more going on than what people are giving on, uh, uh, saying. In, in world problems, oh, there's a reason why some countries are starving and have no food. It's not because they can't grow it. It's because all the food is stopped by military from being able to get to the people. There is always stuff going on behind the scenes. And in COVID-19 even, there is stuff going on behind the scenes than what the scientists and the doctors want us to know about. You want conspiracies? I'll tell you what, the Bible has talks about conspiracies and exposes conspiracies, it blows them wide open because there is a spirit at work that is not of God. He says, first of all, third of all, that there is spiritual influences that can and must be tested and judged by Christians. Now, if I just pick up one of these bottles, hmm, uh, I, can, I can take a, 
refreshing drink. Oh, this one. Mm, mm, this is nice. Yeah. Kombucha. Mm, mm, mm. And uh, why would I stop? Because hmm? I know <laughs> that is dangerous. If I just picked up a bottle that I found somewhere and I just drank it, would I be smart or stupid? I'd be stupid. If I just believed everything my priest told me or everything the RTE says or that any scientist claims to be claiming, would I be smart or stupid if I just believed whatever they said? I'd be stupid. Every Christian in this room needs to learn to be cautious, to be careful, to test what people say, especially in the area of your soul, in the area of God and spirituality. The fourth thing, so everything needs to be tested. Just because it's in a bottle doesn't mean that it should be drank. Amen? And then number four, that little verse packs in one more statement. That is that most religions are false and they're used by the Antichrist to damn people. Many false prophets are gone out into the world and they end up damning our world. So we've got to learn to be very careful. So let's, let's uh, you say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to be deceived. Do you know how many Christians have told me that? How could the devil deceive me? I'm saved. I'm telling you, you don't read your Bible. Uh, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going on a journey now. There are, I can think of four ways. There's probably 40, but there are four big ways that Christians are influenced wrongly. One is by every wind of doctrine. Ephesians 4 and 14. Ephesians 4, 14, that we, talking to Christians, henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro. Now, can you imagine now Oshin's 13? But remember, he was three. I bet you, you know, mom would cradle him and carefully carry him and gently give him to dad and gets carrying him under the arm, you know, like this. And gets, I don't know, have you got a brother, um, Clive? Have you got a brother or you have a sister? All right. Well, brothers are more risk takers, you know. Say, here, take the kid, you know. We'll throw, toss to and fro. And what this description is, that's how Christians are snookered and they're tossed back and forth among big, powerful forces, whether they're religious or they're political. And he says that we're not supposed to be like children tossed to and fro and carried about like a leaf with every wind of doctrine. Here's the magicians by the sleight of hand and cunning craftiness, whereby they these these liars lie in wait to deceive but we should be speaking the truth in love so we may grow up into him into jesus in all things which is the head even christ so we're told that winds are not who what we should follow so do now i don't know about you but uh first thing my wife does when she gets up and uh she's getting ready is she opens the window sticks her hand out and she says it's cold <laughs> And I go, yeah, but it'll probably get warm. She's, oh, it's sunny. And I go, yeah, but sunny doesn't mean warm. So, but she's trying to use her senses to tell her how to get dressed for the day, how to dress, whether to wear four layers or only three. You know? <laughs> anyway, uh, we're, but every wind of doctrine, something comes along and, mm, that feels warm. Oh, that feels good. Let's have a picnic. 
And that's how Christians are affected by their senses. Winds constantly change, and so do religious and spiritual te teachings. Every wind of doctrine constantly blows around. It's been there from day one. Secondly, enticing words. Go to Colossians. You're in Ephesians. Go to the right. Find Colossians. So you're in Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians chapter 2 and verse 4. Watch what Paul says. He's writing this book because there were liars out there. There were beguilers, deceivers, hustlers. He says, and this I say, verse 4, Colossians 2, 4, lest any man should beguile you with what kind of words? All right, all right. You're in a church that does not try to entice you. Now, I kind of entice you to come for dinner, all right? You know, come, let's have dinner next week. Da, da, da. But when it comes to the truth, I am not going to entice you. I am not going to lay out a, a false facade. I'm not going to try to lure you like a fisherman. I'm going to try to lay it out there, and you better know what's true and what's a lie and what has been proven and what is just felt. He says, I wrote these things in Colossians so that no one would beguile you with enticing words. Um, those are attractive words. He wrote scripture, Paul wrote scripture to counteract all the religious teachings that make so much sense to some people, but are wrong. Like, you ever heard somebody say that we should call religious men fathers? Oh, it seems so reverent that we should call this guy father. It's kind of cute when I get talked to Maybe by somebody on a newspaper or somebody somewhere else. Oh, should I call you father? I said, no, 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 no. Just, just call me pastor. <laughs> I'm just a shepherd, okay? But uh, how about, have you ever heard people say, oh, if you just live a sincere life, you'll be okay? Well, that sounds so good, doesn't it? Just be sincere. How about all religions lead to God? Isn't that a good spiritual saying, huh? Well, in the first century, go to Acts chapter 15, go back to the left, Acts chapter 15. In the first century, just a couple of years after Christ's death, religious leaders were going around and teaching that people needed to be circumcised and they needed to keep the law and do good works in order to be saved. Acts chapter 15, verse 24. Acts 15, 24. For as much as ye have heard that certain certain people which went out from us have troubled you with what? All right, so somebody's been talking to you, subverting your souls. Now to subvert, why are we talking about subvert? It means to, to, um, to over, overcome your way of thinking and change the way you're, of your thinking to their way of thinking. When they started off following God, it says subverting your soul, saying you must be circumcised. And keep the law to whom we gave no such commandment. How is anybody going to know that it's not right to be circumcised to be saved? How is anybody going to know that? I find in the Bible they had to be circumcised. How am I going to know it? I'm going to know it by the authority of Scripture and by learning how to use my Bible to test everything. Somebody, my grandson, Connor, you know, he's all into opening up things, which is dangerous. <laughs> he's opening up, he opened up a, uh, well, he's opened up a bunch of different electronic things, finding all the things inside. You know, you can use tools not knowing what they are or how they work. And a lot of people are that way with the Bible. I don't want to give you, I'll finish it, not this week. I'll finish it in two weeks after our missionaries here. 
I'll give you the tools of how to test people, how to test what people say, because most people are just duped. They think if, if somebody came in and had a nicer tie on, had a better hairstyle, was all poofy and pointed backwards, and they had rings on all five fingers on both hands and drove up in a, you know, a, a 2021 BMW and uh, had mag wheels on it and boom box in the back, basting out and came in and was able to suave his way into this pulpit and able to tell you got to be circumcised and you got to keep the law to be saved. There'd be some people who'd believe him because they don't know how to put them to a test. They don't know how to say, wait a minute, that may be in the Bible, but that doesn't apply to me. You've got to learn that because go to Genesis chapter three. Genesis, the first book in your Bible, Genesis chapter three. Enticing words. Listen to Genesis chapter three. On the first day in the Garden of Eden, God expected us to test what we hear, no matter how enticing, how alluring, or how true something may seem to be. Look at Genesis chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more subtle. He didn't come out and say, boo, I'm the devil. <laughs> he came showing up as the most beautiful creature in the garden. You say a serpent's not beautiful. You don't know what he looked like before the fall, before God cursed him. The serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he, this serpent, spoke. He said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may not eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. I mean, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, right in the middle of it. God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. Boy, he's holding out on us. Verse 4, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die. Isn't that a very positive message? See, the devil's a positive devil. He'll come along and says, oh, the God, God is so negative. He talks about death. I'll tell you, you won't die. That's a very positive thing, isn't it? He goes on in verse 5. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened. Ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Is that not alluring? Here's Eve walking around. Uh, she's working in the garden. It'd be a great thing for, for all of us to do, but for her, it got boring. And here's somebody saying, you want to be as a god? I mean, it's luring. It's attractive. It's enticing. Um, Verse six, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, it doesn't look like poison. And it was pleasant to the eyes. It looks pretty. And it's a tree to be desired to make one wise. She went ahead and she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave it unto her husband with her. And he did eat. And we know the rest of the story. Wham! Everything went wrong after that. All because of some enticing words. Did the devil force her? No, he just lied to her. Now, this brings on, let's go to John chapter 8. It brings you to a point where I'm going to talk in a couple of weeks more about John chapter 8. And in John chapter 8, I want to warn you that many a Christian has ended up doing and believing doctrines of devils. Not because they found it in the Bible, but because they were listening to demonic thoughts. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 44. Now, Jesus is speaking to the most 
not to the most wicked and vile people. He's talking to probably the most upright, clean living people, the Pharisees. And watch what he says in verse 44. Ye are of, you are puppets of the devil. And the lust, and I wish you would underline those words, the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he's a liar and he's a father of it. Now, Jesus says that these Pharisees were being influenced by the perverted lusts of Satan himself. And they were carrying out his will instead of God's will. What a thought. That religious men. All right, I want you to hear me out, okay? That religious men would actually be pleasing the perverted lusts of the devil. Has that not been seen over the last 150 years? It happens all the time where people that we trust and people who are in positions of religious power, they're fulfilling the perverted lusts of their father, the devil. Sad truth is many of Christians ended up believing what the Bible calls doctrines of devils. And they end up doing some of the most vile and wicked things themselves, all because they didn't know that they were being influenced by the devil. When they were angry, they thought they were justified to be angry. When they were bitter, they thought their bitterness was right. And when they were stubborn, they thought it was normal. And the decisions they made ended up in their self-destruction because they were fulfilling the lusts of a devil. You say, Christians wouldn't do that. Are you serious? Take your Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. I wish I could put the fear of God in you, ladies and gentlemen, where the next time you become stubborn and you're bitter and you're angry and you will not forgive and you're off in, in watching stuff on television, your own heart used to tell you stop to. And when you're on that thing, I want you to realize you are fulfilling the lusts, the perverted lusts of not God, but of the devil. Look at the Bible, First Timothy chapter 4. Uh, yeah. And verse 1. Now the Spirit, here's the Holy Spirit, speaketh expressly, tells us very clearly that in the latter times, 21st century, some shall depart from the faith. Wait a minute. So they were in the faith. Giving heed, paying attention to, what's the kind of spirit? Seducing spirit. Somebody knocks at your door and they've got a low-cut low dress and a very high-cut skirt, and they say, you want to go for a drink? Now, hopefully you're a Christian strong enough to say you're at the wrong house. Amen. <laughs> but look at that. When it's spiritual, it's hard to refuse. He goes on. He says, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. You used to say, I won't watch that stuff. Used to say, I won't say that kind of talk. Now you've done it so much, you don't have any conscience about it anymore because of the lust of the devil at work on us. Don't you ever just talk about how the world's gone vile? I watch Christians go vile. In the love of this world, look in 2 Timothy, you're in 1 Timothy, go to right, find 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. Paul writes to Timothy in verse 9, he says, do thy diligence. As if to say, 
do your best to come shortly unto me. He needs some encouragement. He says, why? Verse 10, for Demas hath forsaken me. What's the word forsake imply? I mean, he's abandoned him. He was there by, and he was. Demas was, was, was with Paul everywhere he went. And then one day he says, I'm gone. Bye. Don't want to be here anymore. Demas has forsaken me. What's the problem? Having loved this present world. Demas was as saved as you and I are. But he walked away from church. He walked away from godliness. He walked away from soul winning, all because he thought Christianity was boring and that the world was better. It happens all the time. There are people who aren't here today because they thought we were boring. And they love this world more than they love God. It happens all the time. We are commanded. We read it there in 1 Peter. I'm sorry, in, in uh, 1 John. But I want to show you another one. Ephesians chapter 5. We are commanded to not be deceived. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse, 20, uh, verse 6. Ephesians 5 and verse 6. And the commandment is, let, Ephesians 5, 6, let no man, what? Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. You choose to believe what a religion says, and you ignore what the Bible says. All we're doing is we're storing up trouble for this world. We are. And the point is, we're commanded to be not children anymore. A child, you see how dangerous this is? A car pulls up, holds out a little tray and offers some candy to a child. What do you teach a child? Do not talk to strangers, don't you? And you know what? You make it quite emphatic, don't you? And their children say, Daddy, why? I don't ask why, just don't do it. That's what we, but when you get to be 19, 20, 21, 22, shouldn't that person who's grown up shouldn't that here comes somebody and pulls up and got some candy looks and he goes you think i'm stupid i'm gonna take candy from somebody driving up and christians have to get to that place where you watch something on youtube you see something on tv you hear something even spoken from this pulpit i don't care if i'm preaching it or pope john paul the 12th whoever speaks you go wait a minute it is my responsibility to not be deceived. That is important. It is important that's what's said from this pulpit is true, amen? It's important that whatever I say better come from the book. But it's more important that you test me and that you put the things that are that you hear to the test. But not just in church, in everything. Uh, Galatians. Go back to the left on Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 6. Galatians, just one book back from Ephesians. Galatians 1 and verse 6. I marvel. Isn't that an amazing word used today? Marvel comics. Marvel, marvel. Why don't you marvel at the real issues? Like, he says, I'm amazed that you are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Has it not ever happened that a man who's happily married... And he's there and he's got a gorgeous wife and 
gorgeous children, at least they're supposed to think that, and everything's right, and then somebody comes along, and look what it says. He gets removed from that and goes into another relationship. What do we call that? Adultery. It's an abomination. But instead of talking about a marriage, which we would all agree, that, that woman has no business interfering with that marriage. And that man is the stupidest man alive, allowing another woman to interfere with his marriage. But every Christian in this room has to look at the devil is trying to interfere with your relationship with Christ. And he says, I marvel that you're so soon, so quickly removed from him, from God that calls you unto the grace of Christ, unto another gospel, which is not another. Do you know there are not two gospels? There's not three. There's not five. There's one. But there are there be some that trouble you and confuse you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But then he lays it down. He says, but though we, if you ever hear of us apostles or from an angel like Moroni spoke to Joseph Smith, I think he made it up. But even if an angel did speak to Joseph Smith, if an angel from heaven, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which, ye have, which we have preached unto you already, let him be what? Damned. Let him be of the devil. You have no dealings with him. That is serious. We are commanded to not be deceived. So I'm just going to say two things and then we'll be finished today. And then we'll pick it up in two weeks. Number one, question everything. It's a powerful life principle to be skeptical. Questioning is the foundation of science and scientific discovery. Real science never stops testing and questioning and verifying and falsifying. Would you remember this? Real science never stops questioning and testing and verifying and what they call falsifying. At least real science. Fake science, right, real science comes along, and this is called the scientific method. You make an observation. You look at something, and you ask a question, or you ask a 100. You construct a hypothesis. I theorize that this happened this way. Then you must test your hypothesis with an incredible number of experiments. I knew a man. He came to church years ago. They lived down in Bandon. Uh, he worked for, one, for a company that, uh, that did a cancer. They were doing research on a cancer drug. And he was doing research for UCC uh, to test out. I'll come back uh, to test out um, uh, this um, this drug's reaction. And every day, you know what he was paid by UCC to do? To run the test ten times a day for two years. He ran the same test under slightly different conditions. 10 times a day, because it took like an hour to run or 45 minutes to run and then had to record the results and then run it again and then run it again and then run it again for two years. That's the kind of science I trust. Amen. Test your hypothesis and then analyze your data and start to draw conclusions after you've gone through that. That's called the scientific method. It used to work, folks. But now if you ask questions, have you not noticed you're censored? Do you know, I went to a charismatic church once. I was not saved. And I asked somebody, why do I need to speak in tongues? You know what the worship leader told me? That's not a question we ask. Okay, I grew up asking questions. That's how my dad taught me. And when he said, that's not a question we ask, I said, then I won't keep asking. I'm going. 
I was 14 years old and I stopped going to church because somebody refused to answer a question. It was just a simple question. You know what Christianity is all about? Answering questions. That's the whole point of it. If something's censored, something's going on. Can you nod your head? And uh, fake science accepts, expects total acceptance by everyone. But fake science has been in charge not only just recently, it's been going on. I have some friends who used to be professors and they're born again Christians and they were fired because they believe that when the Bible says God created the heaven and earth in six days, just because they believed it, they were fired. You're not allowed to believe something, even though their, their work and their teaching was, was in mechanical engineering or was in civil engineering. They were fired because they believed the Bible. So this thing's been going on for a while. But the truth is this. All that's outside. What about in here? Questioning is the foundation of the Christian's faith as well. We already read there in 1 John chapter 4, it says that we're to put every spirit that we can sense, every thought that comes into our mind, and everything that comes into our heart to a test. It's like putting things on trial. We are told not to believe everything that anyone says, no matter how true it may seem. I wish I could teach a 14-year-old girl that. I wish I could teach a 16-year-old girl that. Some guy winks at you and says, oh, I'd love to spend my life with you. Slap him. He's a wicked liar. And don't trust him. Christians are just snookered just as easily, and it just grieves me. There's a massive issue in modern Christianity. It's made us effeminate, and that is that we can't question. We don't feel like we can question things. There are so many religious views and opinions out there, false teachers out there saying so many wacky things like Jesus went and burned in hell after he said it is finished. That is of, that is of the devil. I don't care if you fall. Well, it says Jesus went to hell. Read your Bible. Find the context. He went through it. He didn't burn in it. Good night. But people go, well, I guess Jesus didn't finish it on the cross. He had to finish it in hell. That's a false prophet. There are people that say there's no millennium kingdom coming. We're on our own now. Just make our own life. They believe that God, there are Christians out there that believe that God used evolution to make the universe. He didn't need to use evolution. He used his words. There are people out there that teach, if you go into most churches, what are you going to hear? Man is basically good. Oh, we're all basically good. God will accept us. There are churches out there that say that we need to keep the Sabbath to be saved. <laughs> there are groups out there that say the earth is flat. There are groups out there that say rich television preachers are blessed by God, and they're not. There are, you can turn them on TV, the rich television preachers say they need their own private jets. There's one out there asking for his fifth. And he wants his sixth to be the Starship Enterprise. <laughs> That's how he jokes, and he wants to have your money. There are people that say that Jesus wanted Christianity to be centered in Rome, even though Rome has billions of euros in its banks, in the Vatican banks. There are churches out there that say Catholic priests are safe to leave their children with overnight. I hope you've realized that was, a, that was a lie. And there are religious people out there that say God wants you to be wealthy. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be saved. If you get wealthy, it'll be because of hard work. Quit believe. I can't believe that people will go and fill a stadium with 30,000 people to hear a Joel Osteen or to hear somebody 
sucker them out of their money saying, God wants you to be wealthy and happy. No, he doesn't. He wants you to be saved. And if you have struggled the rest of your life, that's okay. It's only a vapor. You'll be happy in heaven. That's Christianity. John chapter 7, go to left. John chapter 7. John chapter 7, verse 24. 724 says this. Judge not. Don't make decisions according to the appearance. You know, it's kind of cute. How do people dress when they go to court? Very well. <laughs> Why? Because they're hoping the judge looks as, isn't that a fine-looking young man? <laughs> Don't judge according to appearance, Jesus says, but judge righteous judgment. So you better have something that you can, can make decisions based on that are not based on your feelings or appearance or your senses. And I want to say questioning is not mocking, all right? Mockers, you know what a mocker is? I mean, mockers, I mean, uh, when, when your kids, when you say it's time for bed and they go, why? They're not really wanting an answer, all right? They're just mocking. They just want to extend the time. They just want to wear you down. You're already busy and they're going, maybe I can talk them into five more minutes. <laughs> but questioning is not mockering. Real questioners actually want answers. And we're willing to change when we have seen real evidence. The reason why I'm saved is because somebody took the time to answer my questions. And when I'm talking to somebody about the Lord, I don't push them to get saved because I want them to have their answers, their, their questions answered. And for them to be able to go, I believe the Bible, not Craig. Spiritually minded Christian judges everything. Now go to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Why does it get warm in here? It's cold first, and then it gets warm. <laughs> See, Marcus, would you open that door for me? Don't curse me now, but I'm going to get some air in here before everybody goes to sleep. I've got just a couple more things to say, and we're done. But this is super important, 1 Corinthians 2 and verse 14. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. So when you're talking to some people, it's just, pff, they just go, forget it. That's craziness. Okay, so be it. Neither can he know them because they are only spiritually discerned. They've got to be able to sense it in their spirit, which is dead. Verse 15, but he that is spiritual does what? Judges, analyzes, tests all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. So you want to come and make a judgment on me? Go right ahead. I don't care. You're not my ultimate judge. I'm already, I'm already judged by God. I know my relationship with God, and I've already judged myself. So you don't have to judge me, amen? I like that verse. But a spiritually-minded Christian actually judges and analyzes and tests everything, including himself. Simpletons believe everything they hear. And they never settle what's, what's right. They never are at rest. They never have assurance. They're constantly blown around by some new doctrine, some new teacher, and some new YouTube channel. Probably the greatest curse on Christianity has been YouTube. Not because there's all bad on it, but because 
such a variety of things that appeal and that seem so right. And lazy Christians just give in to go. And I, I, uh, I don't want to give too many examples because I don't want to embarrass anybody. But I have watched people as they've shown. Well, look at this guy. And he'll say or she will say a hundred things. Rapid fire. There. And they go, see? And I go, wait, wait, let's look at the first one. Let's see. Was he right? Uh, number one. Uh, well, don't, don't think too much. Just look at all the evidence. No, no. Look at each and everything. I don't care if he's got a hundred points. I want to make sure point number one's true. Bible says in Proverbs 14, it says, The simple believe every word, but the prudent man looketh well to his going. Prudent means careful. Acts chapter 17. Acts 17. Acts 17 and verse 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night into Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews, which is his normal pattern. He's going to preach. And these were more noble than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. They're excited. They're listening. And they searched the scriptures daily, whether those things that Paul was saying were so. They even checked out the apostle Paul and said, wait a minute, Paul, what chapter is that? Where's the verse? I, gotta, I want to see with my own eyes. I want to I think it through myself. Spiritually minded Christian judges everything. So it brings me to this point. Question everything by the words of scripture. You cannot rely on science because it is constantly changing its mind. <laughs> In the 1970s, guess where we were headed? Here we go. The continued rapid cooling of the earth since World War II is in accord with the increase in global air pollution associated with industrialization, mechanization, urbanization, and exploding population. Where were they saying in 1970? 1977, Time Magazine? An ice age is coming. What do they say now? Well, back there in the 1990s, they said it was global warming. And they got kind of caught out, and they said, okay, uh, 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 global climate change. See how it works? Science will play with your head. Old Charlie Darwin back there said when he created his origin of the species, he said the earth is millions and millions of years old. Then in 1860, they found out, well, let's make it a little bit more. It's 10 to 40 million years old. Then in early 1900s, it became a billion years old. My, how the world ages. 1927 became 3 billion years old. And then in 1960, it was 4.5 billion years old. Back in the 1950s, science said that the insecticide called DDT, I can't pronounce its real name, said it was perfectly safe. They sprayed it on kids as they passed by, trying to get rid of uh, mosquitoes. And then about 15 years later, they noticed those kids were dying of cancer at 25. Science used to say that the unborn fetus is not really alive, but now we know that at six weeks, there's a heart beating. At, 16, at 18 weeks, it responds to sound. It's incredible. At somewhere around 18 weeks, it starts sucking its thumb. It's alive, I say it very, very hesitantly, because it's alive. Science does not determine what is right but not the Bible. It's not constantly changing. First Timothy chapter six. 
First Timothy chapter six. I'm trying to hurry. Stay with me. First Timothy chapter six. If you've seen enough falling away that I have, you'll stick with me and you'll go. This is the most important message we could hear today. First Timothy chapter six and verse three. Notice. Jesus's words are our authority, not pastor, priest, pope, or politician. Chapter 6 and verse 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not, won't agree to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, if he won't agree with those and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is what? He's proud. If somebody won't agree with what the Bible says, they're proud and they they know nothing. But they only like to dote about questions and strifes of words whereof cometh only envy, strife, railings. Railing is an insult. Evil surmising, perverse disputings. It's arguments of men of corrupt minds, destitute of the truth, supposing in the end that gain is godliness. And from such you should do what? Run away, withdraw thyself. You're in 1 Timothy, go to the right, find 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy 3, in verse 5. Having a form of godliness, these false teachers deny the power of living a godly life. From such, you should turn away. Verse 6, for of this sort are they which creep into houses on television screens and internet. They creep into houses and lead captive, silly women. Laden with sins, led away with diverse lusts, ever learning. That's what these guys do. And they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, if you got a Bible, wouldn't you say that you should come to some sort of truth? Ah, I have a verse for that. It's John 17, 17. Jesus said, sanctify them, clean them up with thy truth. Thy word is truth so if somebody can't decide whether they're saved or lost if somebody can't decide whether jesus is coming back if somebody can't decide that there are right things to believe and there are wrong things if they can't make up their mind then they don't have a bible the main purpose of the bible ladies and gentlemen is to have something that we can measure and test what we hear by now i'll go back to my illustration here's hannes hannes i want to change the switch in my sitting room is broken. I'll use my finger to test if it's still live. Okay, all right, you'll be writing my obituary, all right? <laughs> Man, I need something, something simple that will allow me to test and be able to see, oh, there's power still. I didn't turn off the right switch at the fuse board. Do you understand what I'm saying? And God gave us a Bible, not just so that it comforts us, not so that it teaches us, but it gives me the ability to test what other people are trying to influence me by. To be able to know the truth. I love this. Go to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Because even Jesus asked us to test him and to verify whether he was who he said he was and that he could do what he said he could do. John chapter 12, verse 47. John 12, 47. And if any man, am I in the right place? Yes. If any man hear my words, listen to what I say, and believe not, 
I judge him not. Don't worry. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. So he says, you're listening and you don't believe? I understand. Look down to verse 48. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words has one that judgeth him. The very same word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in that day. Down to verse 49. For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. Um, uh, back to chapter 10. Verse 25. John 10, 25, Jesus answered them, I told you and you believe not. The works that I do in my Father's name, they prove me. They bear witness of me. Uh, verse 37, jump down to verse 37. It's all come together here. Look at what he says. He's, this is as clear as it gets. If I do not the works of my Father, if I don't do what God said would be done, believe me not. I mean, he's God in the flesh. Can't he just say, obey me? Can't he just say, believe me? No, he says, Put me to the test. Find out if what I'm doing is not what God said I'd be doing. And if not what I'm saying is not what God said I would be saying. Look at verse, uh, keep going, verse 38. 11.38. But if I do, if I do the works, though you believe not me, at least believe what? At least believe the works that you may know. And if you just believe, you go, this is a miracle. Then you'll be able to believe that the Father is in me and I in him. And what's great is go to Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35. So you go to Psalms and go right and keep going till you hit the big book of Isaiah, chapter 35. In verse 4. Well, I'm going to start in verse 3. It says, strengthen ye the weak hands, confirm the feeble knees, pick them up. Carry them. Okay, but who? Verse 4. Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, I want you to understand these words. Your God will come with vengeance. Yes. Even God with the recompense. He will come and he will what? God is going to come and save you. Keep going. Verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind shall be. What did Jesus do? He walked over to a blind man, touched his eyes, and gave him sight. Then the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as a heart, and the tongue of the dumb will sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Guess who came 2,000 years ago, born in that, in that manger in Bethlehem? God in the flesh. So Jesus is saying, hey, go back and see if what's happening now was already predicted. And if it's true, then believe. If it's not true, then don't believe. And if Jesus asks us to put him to the test, shouldn't we put everybody to the test? By the word of God. I'm finished. Uh, one last example. I've got some examples I'll give to you in a couple of weeks that will be really practical. But one of them is when your past comes along <laughs> and haunts your memory and says to you, you can't live the Christian life. You will always fail. Why don't you remember 2 Corinthians? Go to 2 Corinthians 
and we're finished. Second Corinthians. Second Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 9. You say, I can't live it, Pastor. I'm constantly failing. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and uh, yeah, verse 10, verse 9. 12 and verse 9. He, Jesus, said unto me, my, my grace, Jesus' grace is sufficient for thee. Jesus goes on and says, my strength is made perfect in whose weakness? Ours. Look at what he else says. Paul then continues, says, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my failures. I won't let them discourage me, even though it is discouraging. I will glory in my weakness, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Who's going to make sure you stay saved? You. No, you are weak. You will fail. But who's strong in your weakness? Jesus. Yeah, but pastor, I've let him down so many times. I know the Holy Spirit has put on my heart to witness to my parents or witness to my neighbor. And I've walked away from it. And I'm weak. And the Lord says, that's okay. I'll be your strength. Isn't that good? When you know that you know that you know you're a failure. Still remember, <laughs> God loves failures. Because he's our strength. He goes on. Uh, verse 10, did I get that yet? Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities when I'm reproached and made fun of. In necessities, when everybody else has got money and I don't. In persecutions, when people attack me. In distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak... <sighs> I find that I am strong. So when I've got a feeling I'm a failure, I need a truth that overwhelms that. Do you understand what I'm saying? And I got it from the Bible. You can only do it if you have a Bible and only if you're storing that thing away. Have you noticed how much we work at trying to memorize scripture? You say, I wish we didn't have to memorize the scripture every month. You have no idea how stupid you are. Because the more Bible you put in there, the more answers you have when your heart wants to quit and give up. Conclusion, what are you going to do? What are you going to turn? What are you going to believe when your heart is screaming at you, when the world is screaming at you, when your friends are screaming at you and your heart is overwhelmed? I'll tell you, you need, you need an answer because your life, your sanity, and if you're not saved, your soul is hanging in the balance whether you have an answer or not. Just know this, gentlemen, your family needs a grown dad. Ladies, they need a grown-up mom who know that they know from the Bible about what is right and where they're going and how to live and not give up. Our kids need that because too many parents get swayed by storms and they quit or successes and they quit. Isn't that funny? Some of us are just barely holding on and we're going along. Somebody makes it good money and they're gone. <laughs> Somebody else, they lose their job, they lose their family, they lose their car, they lose their dog, and they're gone. Isn't that funny? Where's the stability that says, no, I know that I know what is right to do. And I'm cautious. I have to ask this last question. Have you been made free? Do you know what Jesus said? If you know the truth, the truth will make you free. Stand with me. Let's bow our heads. Wow. I pray, Lord, you take the words that I said and they would just 
go deep in the heart of everyone here this morning and that you spoke. I pray that every person in this room would realize how serious it is. We don't just have church. We're challenged to think, to test, to prove whether something is right to do or wrong. And that we make decisions, Lord, based on if it's right to do, then we are going to do it. And we haven't done that in a long time. There's no revival because we hear and we don't care. But now, God, if we would just see there's a falling away going along. Oh, churches are full. <laughs> but there's no truth. Just tickling of ears. Just a promotion of money and success. And that's not your way, Lord. And, and I just ask you, God, that when we open the Bible, we realize this is my source of truth. This is my anvil upon which I can put everything I believe and everything I think and everything I feel. And it will conform to the truth of your word if only I took it seriously. And if there's anybody in this room that would do that, then I've accomplished my, my task this morning. But if there's somebody in this room that still holding on to the truth of science, still holding on to the truth of their religion, they're still holding on to the supposed truth of, of their own goodness, I prayed you put the fear of God in them, Lord, that hell is waiting for them right now. They go out of this room and into their car and enter into eternity, and they will face you and the judgment, and they're not ready because they never believed what you said. They may like what you say, but they never believed it. God, would somebody be made free today and would somebody confess Christ today and say, I believe that he died for me and was buried and rose again. I'm a sinner. I'm wicked and lost. And I need a savior and I ask for him to save me now. And every Christian in this room say, Lord, you saved me. I don't think you meant for me to be constantly snookered and deceived and taken advantage of. So make us men and women help us to grow up and not be carried around with every wind of doctrine but be solid in this book be students of this book because our families are, are desperately in need of it and our societies as well so would you just finish this up in our hearts today with a decision in jesus name amen we're going to sing